Baleen Park. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I hadn't. It's pretty cool. We've got a rock wall. We climb it. It's fun. But the thing we do is we open up the Bible together, okay? So um, if you have one, pull it out. If you've got a phone, pull out your phone. That works too. We're in Luke 18. All right, now, if you were at the kickoff, you heard me teach on the parable of the treasure hidden in a field, which is a story Jesus basically gives to people about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is always telling parables. And in Luke 18, he gives another one. And so each week, we're basically going to be just coming to Jesus as a teacher. And we're basically just going to be saying, man, Jesus, teach us about life. Teach us about ourselves. Teach us about you. Teach us about heaven. Like, teach us about reality. And each week, what he's going to do is he's going to give us a story that as we press into it, and as we look at it, probably what will happen is it will take something that we think we know and it will flip it on its head because this is what Jesus loves to do. And so Luke 18, starting in verse 9, says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the Pharisee, standing by himself, he prayed this way, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, meaning the second man, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so that's the story. It's a story that Jesus tells about these two people. And, and what's interesting is because most of Jesus' parables, he's kind of giving them to a large crowd of people. And maybe you've kind of read parts of the Bible before. He's like a large crowd. He's just, he's teaching kind of everyone these parables. But this story is specific. It says that he gives this story to a very specific group of people. And it says that those who trusted in themselves. But the thing that they trusted in is really interesting. The thing they trusted in themselves was that they were righteous. Meaning they felt that they were largely living the right kind of life. They were kind of spending their time doing the right kinds of things. They were thinking about the world the right way. And it says that not only were they righteous, but what often comes along with people who feel this way is they also treated other people with contempt. So it's this group of people who basically believe they are living these amazing lives. And they are like the right kind of person And they very quickly looked at other people who weren't living like them and then looked down on them in judgment, right? Can we all agree that's messed up? (laughs) Like, can we all agree and be like, those people caused some serious problems in the world? Amen? Amen. Okay. Well, you didn't raise your hand, but if you felt that in you, you're like, yes, like, I can't stand people like that. And it's interesting. I was reading this and I was feeling that, right? Like, someone who's like, I've got it all figured out. My life is the right one. And anyone who doesn't live like me is messed up. And I remember feeling in my heart this frustration with that kind of person. And maybe you did too. 
What's so funny about that is like in that moment where you're like looking at this self-righteous judgmental person, you feel this thing start to well up in you, which is self-righteous judgment of that person, right? And that's what happens at the beginning of this parable. In that moment, we're actually evidencing that we are actually all the people Jesus is talking about. We feel self-righteous about our lack of self-righteous judgment, and we look down in judgment on those people who are like that. And so Jesus begins to talk to a group of people, I think like us, who have different people in the world we look at, and we go, man, if, if this person could live differently, if this group of people was different, if they lived a little more like me in this area, the world would be a little better place. He looks at a group of people like us, and he tells a story about two different kinds of people. And what they're doing in the story is they're going up to the temple to pray, right? And sometimes when we read the Bible, we, we, like, we basically make sure, like, do I understand the word? Do the sentences make sense? Like, half the time, we're, like, stumbling over old people's names, and we're like, I don't even know how to pronounce this, right? And so you're like, if you can get the grammar, you're like, got it, I'll move on. But I want to, like, what is that? What's happening? They're going up to the temple to pray. Well, the temple is this place that basically represents the presence of God. It's like where God dwells, right? A temple is like God's presence and humanity's presence kind of come together, slam together, and they're, they're coming to pray, which means they're coming to enter into this relationship with God. They're coming to talk with Him, to converse with Him. Two different kinds of people. And the question of the story is, which one of them is going to be accepted by God? It's a massive question. Like, it's a massive question that Jesus is answering. And actually, it's the most important question that a human being could ask. When we stand before God, when you stand before God, what will he say to you? What will he say about us? What will his judgment of us be? And in small ways, we're asking similar questions all the time, right? We maybe are asking questions like, man, am I worthy of these kind of friends? Am I making my family proud? Am I, am I being successful? Am I going to be successful? Am I going to amount to something? Will I be alone or will I end up with my life surrounded by people who love me? Am I going to make a mark on this world, right? These are all kind of questions that have something to do with our identity and our value, and they're all big, important questions. But the question that's stamped over all of these And honestly, the only question that's going to end after our short lives are over is the question that can only be answered when we stand before God himself. Because in this story, they're coming up to the temple to meet with God. And in your life, there's there's going to be a time, whether it's like intentional now or at some point in the future, where you will stand before your creator. And in that moment, you're going to not just be standing before the Creator, but before your true and final judge. And the one who spoke creation into existence, the one who's like, even right now, keeping your lungs breathing, the one who tells the sun to rise each and every morning, he's going to speak to you. He's going to say something. And he will give an account of you. And what's so interesting about this, right, is like if you live in this modern world, like we actually spend a lot of our time giving an account of God, right? What we think of him, what we think about his Bible, what we think about his ways. But on that day, he's going to be the one whose voice will matter. And this story is about two different kinds of people. One that is accepted by God and one that isn't. And one that's justified, meaning like declared righteous, declared okay. One that's actually even exalted, one that God's heart moves towards and one that God is actually repelled by, 
One that God's heart doesn't move towards, but actually moves away from. And it is a stunning story because it's not the story we would expect. It's a story about two different kinds of people, but more than that, it's a story that's meant to teach us about the heart of God and how God is actually very different than we would often expect him to be. And so let's start by looking at this first dude who rolls up on the scene, this Pharisee, all right? This is the heart of the Pharisee. Look what it says, verse 11. Jesus says this, the Pharisee standing by himself, he, he prayed this way. Actually, my translation says he prayed thus. <laughs> it's, it's fine. He prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. So here's the first person in the story. He is a Pharisee. We're told that. And for the hearers of the story, like this, this word, he's a Pharisee, would, would pop a ton of things into their mind. And this was someone with serious religious devotion. And it wasn't just like a Sunday morning thing. This was like a full life thing for this person. The, these dudes literally wore the Bible. Like they actually wore it. Like they didn't just have like cool like slogans on their shirt like Katie, right? It's like, no, you like literally wore the thing. Like they would wrap their arms with like the Torah. Like they were serious about it. Their intent with their lives in this society was to like try to follow the whole of the Old Testament law perfectly. And you're like, what about bacon? No, <laughs> like off the table, mowing a lawn on like a Sabbath? Nope, not that either. In short, this was someone who's known in society as like the definition of someone who would be close to God. That was their aim. That was their goal. And they practically lived in the temple. All they did was discuss the things of God, tried to mirror their lives up to his standard, his law. And if you've been around the church, my guess is the word Pharisee has like a negative connotation for us, right? Because you know that the Pharisees and Jesus didn't get along, and so we, we kind of rag on the Pharisees. We tend to have a low view of them, but everyone who's hearing this story, that's not what they felt. They would have had a super high view of these people. Super high view of them. And every different group of people have their Pharisees, right? Because, you know, every kind of group of people have this vision of what is the right kind of life that I could be living. And if I was living that life, that's really like the, the, the ideal. And you might be in this room and, and you might not have a high view of people spend their whole day in church and pray a lot like these Pharisees. But there's some picture you have in your head that you go, man, if I was living perfectly, that's what my life would be like. Or you have some ideal, like some, some person you know that you're like, this person, man, this is like a righteous person. They are doing the right kinds of things. And whatever pops into your head when you think about that, that's the person that Jesus is trying to tell you a story about. He's like that perfect, polished up person that you think of. That person walks up to the temple to talk to God. And the picture that Jesus paints for us is a Pharisee who comes up to the temple to pray. And it says that as he prays, he prays standing by himself. Did you catch that line? There's two people, they're both standing in a certain way. And this Pharisee is standing by himself. And the temple is a busy place. It's filled with all kinds of people. What this guy does is he actually separates himself off from the whole group because he doesn't want to be seen as approaching God in the same way that everyone else does because after all, he is someone of serious devotion, not like these other people. So he stands apart from them on his own and he starts to pray and look what he says. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. 
Okay, so that's his prayer. Now, we, we might get ahead of ourselves and start to, like, judge this dude, right? Because it's, like, it's kind of a jacked-up prayer. <laughs> it's, like, if you've, like, learned to pray from Jesus, you're, like, yeah, like, started strong. God, I thank you. And then he's, like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, right? But I wanted to stop and really think about what this person is saying. Because this is someone who's, who's approaching God. He's not like everyone else who's in the marketplace that didn't even come to the temple. Like, he has approached God. He's even dressed in reverence. He's living this life of intentional pursuit of spiritual things. And he looks out into the world, and he recognizes that almost no one else is living like this. Like, there's a lot of people in the temple, but, like, there's not that many people in the temple, right? It's like you look around here, and you're like, there's a lot of people in this room. There's not that many people in this room. And this man, he knows the kinds of things that grieves the heart of God, and he looks out into a world that just doesn't care about these things. The world is filled with extortioners, people who, like, oppress others, unjust, adulterers. And he even sees in the corner of his eye this tax collector, right? And in his day, it's this person who's like an icon of injustice and oppression and elitism. And his prayer is a prayer of thankfulness to God that he isn't like those people, Instead, he has this life of, like, upward devotion, right? He fasts twice a week. Like, that's, that's serious. Anyone here fast twice a week? I don't. My guess is none of you do. He has this life of outward generosity. He's giving tithes of everything he has, meaning it isn't just like when he feels conviction, he gives some money. He's like, no, this is like a regular rhythm of my life. I'm generous towards God and towards people. I'm trying to be So that's his prayer. But what's interesting is his prayer reveals his heart, right? This is a person who's come to God and has made this assumption, and it's a fatal error. He assumes that because of his spiritual life, because of his intentionality, and because of his choices, that of all the people who were there that day, that he is probably the one who's actually closest to God's heart. And he thanks God for it. And, and he's a Pharisee, which means this isn't just like a once a month, once a year ritual for him where he comes into the presence of God. It's like, no, he does this day in, day out. He's faithful, intentional, devout. And then the other person in the story is a tax collector, okay? Now, we don't really need a different version of this, right? Like, even in today's world, we hear that and we're like, ew, right? It's like, we don't like that. It's like, how many of you ever prayed, like, God, I know I really screwed up, but at least I don't work for the IRS. Like, thank you, God, right? It's like... No one wants to be that guy. If you work for the IRS, you don't tell people, right? Because nobody likes people who collect taxes. But in this day, it was even worse. A tax collector, like that word, as he came off of Jesus' tongue in a story, people would literally like get angry because a tax collector represented someone who had turned their back on all that was good and decent in the world. And not just turned their back on morality, but actually their family and their friends. You see, the tax collectors in this day, they had actually sided with the kind of invading, oppressing enemy, the Romans. They joined with them, right? The Jewish people were under occupation of this kind of cruel overlord, the Romans, and they would actually run around, these tax collectors, with bands of soldiers, extorting money from their friends and their families. And they'd be the ones who would actually keep ledgers that would say if people, these like super poor Jewish people had paid enough of their taxes and they kind of held the keys to throw people into prison or to not. And in order to become rich, 
these tax collectors would actually overcharge people by a massive amount. And if they didn't pay, they'd throw them in prison and they would take this extra money and they would use it to literally just live this incredibly lavish lifestyle in the midst of all their friends and family who were impoverished and oppressed. Actually, later in the Jewish story during the Second World War, there'd be these certain Jewish people who would actually join the ranks of the Nazis and they'd actually act as like a police force in like the Polish ghettos. Maybe you've seen this in movies, right? And it's like for like protection and for status and money, like these people would like basically take on this like Nazi symbol and would literally be next to like the Nazis and they would be throwing their friends and family onto trains to send them to be killed. That is what it would feel like for these Jewish people to talk about this tax collector. These people uh, haven't just messed up. These people have betrayed everything that is good and decent in this world. And so it says in verse 13 that a tax collector, this guy comes to the temple too. And it says that the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. And it's interesting, this this man, he's standing away from the crowds in the same way, right? Both people are not in the crowd. They're like on their own in different ways. But it's not a posture of self-assurance. It's actually a posture of despair. Because this man also views himself as different than everyone else in the temple. He's like, I am not like everyone else. But it's not because he thinks he's better than everyone else. It's because he actually thinks he is worse than every single person there. He views himself as so lost and ruined that he is completely unworthy to even approach the temple with everyone else. And for good reason. Because every single person in the temple who sees him knows him. They know his face and when they see him, they probably have violence on their lips and disgust in their eyes. This man wasn't wearing the Torah on his sleeves, right? That wasn't him. He was probably wearing this like very ornate, elaborate tunic that was bought with like the blood money of people that he has oppressed. And I want you to just picture this guy. Everyone in the temple hates this man. He knows it. So why doesn't he even go up close? And it says that he, he doesn't even go up to the temple. He stays far away from it. He's like, I don't feel even like worthy to walk a little bit closer. But it's more than that. And you know, it's, it's not just that he's like, I don't want to be in that group because people might, you know, attack me or something like that. He's like, the reason he's not walking closer to the temple is because the way he feels about himself towards God. And you know this because it's not that he won't go to the temple, but he actually can't even lift up his eyes to heaven. It's like he's trying to come and have some conversation with God, trying to come close to God, but he knows he can't come that close and he's standing far off and he can't even get himself to like lift up his head This is someone who is completely devastated with shame for the life they live. Like, devastated by shame. They have done things. They have seen things. They have seen things done by their own hand. They have memories. They have present experiences that bring them so much shame that it is almost unbearable to them. And for them to just walk up to the temple is like, I can't even do that. Do you ever feel that way? Like with your own life, maybe with 
something that's happened in your past or something that's like happened this week or something that's like happening right now, that you have something about you, about your story, something you've done or something that like marks you that you just feel like an unbelievable amount of shame about. And you feel like, man, like even maybe coming to Salt Company night was like hard because you're like, I don't know, like I don't really come to church often and I feel like it's hard for me to step into places like this because when I do, I just feel like this burden of guilt and shame weighed down on my shoulders. Well, if you, if you feel like that, you might be able to identify with this guy a little bit because he stands far off. And like, just like the only thing he can do is literally beat his chest and literally just say like, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his prayer. It's the whole thing. Like it's one line. God, be merciful to me. Have mercy. Be kind. Be gracious. I need mercy. And the reason I need mercy is because I am a sinner. See, this first person, he brought his goodness, his spirituality, his generosity, and even brought his devotion to God. The second person, the only thing he brought, like the only thing was his sin. He didn't trust in himself that he was righteous. He actually despaired of himself that he was a sinner. And that was it. That was his sin. That was the only thing he brought with him to the temple that day. And it wasn't just his individual sins, but actually he brought with him this assessment over his life that he was a sinner. Like, I'm bringing this. I'm saying this is the truest assessment of who I really am. And if it's not for some miraculous act of God, if it were not for some extravagant act of mercy, if it were not for some undue and unwarranted kindness and favor towards me from God, I am ruined. That's this man. So I want to ask this question. What are you, like, what are you bringing to God tonight? What are you bringing with you into this room? Some of you, the reality is you do actually trust in yourself. Like the the beginning of this, it's like some people, they trust in themselves. And and some of you in the room, like that's actually who you are right now. That's your story. You trust in yourself. And, and, And kind of you feel justified in that, right? Because you've worked really hard. You've sacrificed to become kind of the right kind of person in your mind and maybe you're the kind of person that's like man morality and and religion and spirituality that's kind of your jam and that's where you kind of find your identity and you've maybe gone to church your whole life and maybe you're even like one of those rare special people that's like I've never been drunk I've I've never slept around I've, I've never done drugs or or any of the other things I don't think God would you know wouldn't like and because of this because of your life and your choices you assume that God's heart surely must be drawn towards you or people who are like you Maybe you're in here in organized religion, like that's like not your thing at all. You're not into that. And you might be in here and you're like, I'm not even really sure if there is a God or not. But if there is, I'm pretty sure he would be pleased with my choices because I've worked hard. You know, I think I'm going to be successful because of my hard work. And I'm, I'm not just kind of working to build myself up, but I'm trying to live my life for things that matter. I know I, I don't hurt people. There's a lot of other people like that, that that do that, but I don't live that way. I actually try to look out for those who need help. But I want you to look how the story ends because it really is amazing. Verse 14 says this. I, I tell you, so this is Jesus. He's saying, here's a story. Two people come up. I tell you that this, this man, the sinner, the tax collector, 
that's the man who went down to his house justified rather than the other. That should be shocking, okay? And if it's, if it's not shocking, you're missing the story. <laughs> that does not make any sense. Because the Pharisee is the dude who's in the temple every single day hanging out with God. The Pharisee is the guy who's got the Bible wrapped around his arms. This guy has the blood money of oppressed people wrapped around his body. But he says, actually, no, it was the, the sinner is the one who went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then the thing at the end, he says, is everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a story about the way we view people. That's part of it, right? It's, there's some people who view themselves as, as righteous and they, they condemn other people. It's a story about the way we view ourselves. That's also true, but ultimately this is a story about the heart of God. That's what it's about. It's about who God is and what his heart is like towards people like us. And this is amazing (laughs) like this is an unbelievable story that jesus is telling us because when jesus gives us a picture of the kind of person who is justified by god meaning who is the person that god himself like the creator the author of life the one from whom all warmth and goodness and kindness flows like the apex of all our longings and hopes the thing we're looking for in everything we pursue in this world god himself It's saying the one that God moves towards in relationship and closeness. When he gives the picture of that person, he gives us a picture of someone who is known by himself and society as a sinner and a moral failure. That is crazy. And I want you to seriously stop and think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, that's the kind of person that God's heart moves towards, not away from. It means that there wasn't actually a right kind of life, but there was a right kind of heart. And the right kind of heart wasn't the one that actually felt good about the life they were living. It was actually the one that felt crushed and hopeless because they knew they weren't living the right kind of life. And Jesus says, that's the kind of heart that my heart moves towards in love. So who are you in the room tonight? Like, do you feel broken? <laughs> like, did, did you walk in here tonight and you actually felt like unclean? Like you knew you were walking into a church and you knew you were going like, to have some kind of ex- spiritual experience with like this this God who's out there and there's something about you that felt like I feel unclean like maybe you felt overwhelmed by your sin and your constant inability to measure up and if so what's amazing about this story is it's saying if that's how you feel about your life you are welcome to the table of King Jesus and and then the story is amazing because it says more than that it's saying not only are those kind of people welcome at the table of jesus but they're the only people who can sit at the table they're the only people jesus came for he says they didn't come for the healthy he came for the sick 
And it isn't because the healthy people don't need him. It's because he does not move towards them in the same way he moves towards people who are sick. People who feel healthy and righteous and don't feel like they need mercy, Jesus actually moves away from those people. It says that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And Jesus is telling this story because this is actually a picture of God that is literally the exact opposite of almost all of our natural conceptions of what he'd be like. Because when we take an honest look at ourselves and our hearts and our lives, and if we like just for a minute, we take all of our defensive posture off, we take the masks off, we just stand before the mirror, naked, expose the real us. My guess is what's true of me is what's true of all of you. It's the, it's the areas of you that you feel like are the most broken. The choices, the moments, the parts of us that bring us the most shame, we feel that we have to cover these things up. We have to not just cover them up, we have to make up for them. We have to like minimize them and make up for them because we feel that these are the parts of us that if God would actually see them, if God really knew them, then these parts of us would actually be the very thing that would most repel him from us. And maybe this has been like your whole life with God. You, you opened the Bible and maybe you went to church when you were younger and your conclusion that was that whatever kind of person God wanted you to be, you were like naturally the opposite of that. God's like, this is the kind of person I bless and you're like, that sucks because I am the opposite of that in so many different ways. And so maybe your story with Christianity has been one of guilt and shame and condemnation. Maybe you've been on this performance treadmill your whole life and you are exhausted trying to be a Christian. It's not something that's life-giving for you. It's something that's actually exhausting because you have been so desperately trying to slam your life into the right kind of shape, thinking that if you just did a good enough job with that, then God would actually be happy with you. But this is what is incredible about this story. And this is what's incredible about the Bible, is that the whole Bible is about Jesus, who is the friend of sinners. That's who he is. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and it's not the story of a helper of sinners. It's the story of someone who saves sinners. It's the story of a God who, like, saying, I don't come to, to bless the healthy and those who are getting everything figured out. I actually came for people who are sick and don't just need some help and some medicine. I came to actually save them. And this means something that is absolutely stunning. Like, I'm serious. This is amazing what I'm about to say because it's so unexpected. And honestly, even as I tell you this, it still kind of seems impossible to me that this is true, because it's so good. Like, it's so good for people like you and people like me, because what this means, what this means is that the areas of your life and your story that bring you the most guilt and the most shame like the things that you have tried for so long to stop doing, and you're still doing them. Like the things that you promised God like over and over and over again, I will never do that again, and you find yourself in the place where you're like, I'm still that person. What this means is that the things in your life that bring you the most guilt and shame, they're not the things about you that most separate God from you, but they're actually the very areas of your life 
that caused the heart of God to draw near to you in love. That's crazy. I mean, did you hear what Jesus is saying in the story? It's, it's the man who can't even lift his eyes to heaven, who can't even come close to the temple. It's, he has to stand far away because he's covered in guilt and shame, overwhelmed by who he is, feeling that he must be an absolute disappointment to God because of the failure of his life. It's saying out of all of the prayers of all of the people who come near to God, out of every single one of those people's prayers that day, that was the person that left justified. That person is actually the person who was standing the furthest away, who felt the most defeated by their sin, who knew it and asked for mercy. That was actually the person who was closest to the heart of God. I don't know if that stuns you, but that stuns me. Like, I've been following Jesus for a long time, and I'm still amazed by that. Because I'm not standing up here as someone who's got their life figured out. I'm standing up here as someone who struggles so much. Like, I struggle so much. Like, this week, I'm, like, talking to my wife. I'm just confessing sin, and I'm like, I'm sorry that I'm still so broken. Like, do you feel that way when you walk into this room? Man, I do. And I don't want to, but it's who I am. And this story blows me away because it's about two different kind of people. And one of these people, man, the thing that they believe inside of themselves, they believe that the problem with the world, it's those other people. And, and, and this person believes that if more people could be like him, then the world would be a better place. But this other person has no time to even consider the other people in the world. Like, he's not, he doesn't even see him. He doesn't even consider him because he's so overwhelmed by his own sin in the light of God's holiness. And I want to ask you a question. And it's, it's not a small question. Do you more easily see the sin and failure of others and the people around you in the world when you walk across campus? Do you more easily see the brokenness and the sin and failure of others or your own sin and failure? There was this newspaper article a long time ago that came out and they were just like, people were bantering back and forth and just saying, man, like what is wrong with the world? And one of this, this Christian author, G.K. Chesterton, he, he just responded. He literally wrote back and he goes like, dear sirs, regarding your inquiry, what is wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> he like sends it back, right? Do you believe that? Do you feel that way? That you're like, I'll tell you what the problem with the world is. It's, it's me. Like, I don't know anyone more broken than I am. I don't know anyone that's got more crap in their life than I do. You know, a lot of people think that the goal of the Christian life, like the goal of following Jesus is to become a good enough person so that eventually you won't really need the mercy and grace of Jesus as much in the future as you do today. That's not what Christianity is about. No, actually the goal of the Christian life is actually to come to a fuller knowledge of who God is 
And as you come face to face with the God who actually exists, to come to a fuller knowledge of how much you are unlike him. And as that gap grows, as you become more of a Christian, as you become more closer to God, you become more aware of your need for mercy and grace, and you actually become more in awe of the Savior who has bridged that gap with his own life. There's two types of people in this story, and there really are only two types of people in this room tonight. It's the reason Jesus tells stories like this. It forces you into a fork in the road, and it's like there's two types of people that approach God in the end, and there's two types of people in the room tonight. And God's heart moves towards one, and it doesn't move towards the other. And it says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so what this means is that either you will be humbled here in this life, you will come to a real realization of your brokenness, your sinfulness, your failures, your inadequacy to live up to the design God has for you. Either you will be humbled here in this life and then exalted when you meet Jesus because those are the kind of people he gives mercy to or you will be the kind of person who exalts yourself here in this life and you will be humbled when you meet Jesus face to face. And you don't want to be humbled on that day. It's a story about two men, but it's also a story about the heart of the one who's telling the story. It's a story about Jesus. It's like Jesus is looking at people, like he's looking at these Pharisees, these people who are living these self-righteous lives, and they've worked so stinking hard. Like, when you know what Pharisees look like? They look exhausted. <laughs> they look exhausted. And he's looking at these people, and they're surrounded by all kinds of other people who are looking at them and feel like, I don't add up to this person. And it's like Jesus is literally just saying, man, you want to know what my heart really loves? You want to know, like, who I have affection for? You want to know the kind of people that I see and I run towards? He says, man, it's, it's people who know that they are broken. It's people who feel desperately in need of change but can't figure out how to do it themselves. It's, it's, it's people who actually feel like they don't measure up at all. He says, that's the, the kind of person that I move in love towards. And what's so interesting about this is that, you know, whether you feel hopeful about the kind of life you're living, because you might be in that place. You might be like, dude, I don't know. You're kind of sad up there, whatever. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel all right. Like, I feel all right. Like, I don't feel like my life's that off the rails, <laughs> whatever. Like, and that's, you might be in that place where you're like, I don't feel like my life's off the rails. Or you might be someone who's like, man, I actually do feel like my life is super messed up and I feel exhausted because I don't ever feel like I'm measuring up. What's so amazing about these two postures is actually that the problem we have is actually the same. In both situations, both people are trusting in themselves. One feels like they're measuring up, the other doesn't feel like they're measuring up, but both people are looking at their lives, their choices, their goodness, as the basis by which they stand or fall. And this parable, this story of Jesus, is actually an invitation to grab hold of something different. Mercy. That whether you feel that you are good or bad, 
living up to your standard or not. It's an invitation to stop trusting in yourself entirely and instead to throw yourself on the grace and kindness and mercy of the heart of God for people who are broken. And I just want to ask you this question. What if it was true? Like all the stuff I'm, I'm saying tonight, all the stuff that this story is like presenting. Like what if it's actually true that it's the most shameful and broken part of your story that you feel most repels God? What if that's actually the part that actually draws him towards you the most? What if it's the wounds and scars that mark your story that are actually the places that don't repel him but draw him most towards you? What if it's true that Jesus Christ was actually the friend of sinners? Meaning like friend, like at minimum, he enjoys spending time with them. He wants to be with them. In other words, what if our idea of God is wrong? What if all of the limits that we put on people, there's like a limit to what we will put up with, right? It's like, man, you can like, you can be my friend, but if you, you, you do this, like there's a limit of what we will put up with. All of us have limits to how many times someone could wrong us before we cut ties and walk away, but what if Jesus is actually a savior with no limits? What if he was like the one person in the universe that no matter how many times you betrayed him, he had no limit to that? What if he had actually already borne everything on the cross? And that was why he could be like the one person that you could betray and wrong again and again and again. And he would actually still look at you with kindness and grace and mercy. What if he was that kind of friend? I think that that would be the truth in the world that would be the most important. And I think that if we believed that, it would change our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, it's clear to me that I did not get enough sleep last night with how emotional I am. But I love you. And Jesus, I'm so floored I am so stunned by you. I don't get it. God, I do not get it. God, I think when I think of you, I think that, yes, your, your grace is always there, but man, you're like this Savior who is like so frustrated and fed up, and it's like, well, I'll save you because I'm supposed to, but I don't like it, and, it's, and you're like a drag to be around, and God, I feel that so often, but then I hear this story, and it's just, man, you came to save sinners because you love broken people like me and you love to save broken people like me. And so Jesus, I pray for anyone in the room that is walking in that actually feels overwhelmed by their sin, that they would be met by a grace and a mercy that is greater than all their sin. God, I pray that we would not be the kind of people who allow our self-righteousness to keep us from you, but we'd be the kind of people that actually just humble ourselves under your assessment of us. That we wouldn't be people that build some kind of box of righteousness to stand on and, and then judge other people by, that, but we would be people who are standing at the level ground at the foot of the cross, where we look up at a savior whose flesh was torn, whose blood was poured out, 
because it was the only sacrifice suitable to pay the cost of our debt that we owed. And Jesus, I pray that you'd make Salt Company a place that is not filled with proud, self-righteous people that no one wants to be around, but I pray that you'd make us humble, that the people we would feel are the biggest problems on campus or ourselves, the people whose hearts we most despair about are actually our own, but that we would be filled with a joy of salvation knowing that we are loved still. In your name, amen. Jesus is inviting you to do something super specific and it's actually to let go of trust in yourself to actually agree with the cross of Jesus that you are broken beyond repair but that Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice and to actually receive mercy and if you haven't done that tonight you should so let's stand and respond